Hello and welcome to Murder Analyzed. Thanks for joining me today. This case today is the unsolved murder of Ruth Penelope Bell, better known as Penny Bell. And so throughout this um, video, I will be referring to her as Penny Bell or Penny. Now, Penny Bell was this businesswoman, really good businesswoman, had a great, you know, business savvy. She had done a lot with her life and really enjoyed her life. She had um, had two children. She had one by a previous relationship and then she had a child from the relationship she was in at the time of her murder. So she had two children. She was a great mother. She had a great work ethic. She was a businesswoman, you know, in the 90s, a really quite powerful businesswoman and really enjoyed her role in life and had a great mix of home and work life. So at the time of her murder, she was having work done um, on her home. She was having a new kitchen refit and stuff done at her home. So she had a lot of builders on site and stuff like that. And they lived in Buckinghamshire in um, Bakerswood near Denham in Buckinghamshire. It was a large home. She had done well. Her and her husband had done well. They had a good life, financially stable. There was no issues in the family at that time. Uh, not that anyone knew about. She was um, last seen on the 6th of uh, June 1991. Um, her husband left to go to work, um, waved to her goodbye. He said at that point that she didn't wave to him, but there was a lot going on in the kitchen. The builders were turning up where she would usually stand and wave and say goodbye. On this morning, she didn't. The builders, though, have said that she was um, happy and normal. Nothing seemed any different on that morning than any you know any usual morning um she was getting ready for work and then she did tell the builders that she was running late for an appointment um and um had to sort of rush around because she was late now there was no nothing in her diary or anything to do with this appointment you know no no reference to it at all but she did make the um she did tell the builders that she had an appointment and she was rushing to get to that appointment. So she left her home about 9.40 a.m. in the morning. Now, Penny used to drive, and you'll see pictures of her car, this um, Jaguar XJS, and it was a um, Arctic blue. So it's quite a notable, notable car. You know, there weren't many of them around. Um, you know, an expensive car. So people did see this car going around and it was quite a distinctive car. She's left her home around 9.40 um, and that's usual, her usual time. She ran her own business, it was a quite a successful business, so she just left to go to work. But she did tell these people that she had this appointment earlier that morning and she was running late. And I think her appointment was at 9.50. So she was, she thought, right, I, I better move it. And the, the builders remembered her saying about this appointment she had. On that morning of the 6th of June 1991, a witness um, did come forward to say that they'd seen a car similar to Penny Bell's and they thought it was Penny Bell's car because it's quite, quite a distinctive car. In Fulham Common Road and that's opposite this um, Black Country Park. So was she meeting someone there? because why would her car have been there? We knew she had an appointment because she'd already told 
the builder that she was going to an appointment it was late so this is now 10 minutes down the road she's left her home and 10 minutes later now her car's seen on Fulham Road uh, Fulham Common Road um, adjacent to this um, black park so um, there was also though a man was seen standing besides a um, bronze or brown or bronze coloured um, car and he got in to um, this Jaguar and they believe that was Penny's Jaguar that he got into. That car was then also seen as they drove out and a little while down the road. This car was seen to be driving Penny's car at 10 to 15 miles an hour with its hazard lights on. It was noticed that there was two people in this car because as cars overtook Penny on this road, this is all now witness statements, it was noticed that there was two people in this car. Penny was driving very slowly to get attention and also the person sitting in the passenger side was a male. Now the thing is with Jaguars and especially um, you know XJSs, their windows are quite small so it would have been difficult to see especially from the back windows um, difficult to see what was really going on in this car but as the car took over he says that their woman driving was mouthing to him help me help me but no one did no one stopped no one pulled over no one tried to help no one rang the police nothing so this could have been penny and we have a lot of witnesses now saying that they'd seen this car driving this slow so the killer as we know now was in this car and she had picked up that killer at this black um park black country park opposite um fulham common road so it's quite disturbing really when you think that this woman knew even at that point as she was driving and trying to get attention to herself that she was going to be murdered she would have been in fear of her life especially trying to you know <laughs> tell people help me and no one does the car continues to drive and it ends up then at this um, leisure park where Penny was then stabbed um, sitting behind the driver's wheel not moved 50 times in this car well, she was tied, she was stabbed 50 times in total but what we know what the perpetrator did was stab her so many times as he sat in the passenger seat of that car then he got out of that car and he walked around the car to where Penny's window was open on the driver's side and he continued to stab her through that window. So <laughs> there's a lot of issues with this case. So now we know that the perpetrator has actually been in the car. Now when you stab someone 50 times and they think the blade that stabbed her was three to four inches long, that's quite long. Also when you stab someone where you're stabbing, especially in this sort of attack, because it was a frenzied attack, this attack, there would usually be some DNA left from you, either on the knife or whatever, you know, um, where you've cut yourself, you could have blood. She fought back. We know she fought back. 
on that on 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 this attack so there would have been dna under her fingernails and stuff like that we know that so we know there would have been lots of dna lots of blood splatter this person would have been covered in blood because you can't stab someone 50 times in the chest area and the neck and not be covered in blood especially when you're in a small compact area and as in a car but this man you see chose this area where he parked this car in this leisure center he parked up against hedges and as i said jaguars this type of jaguar have quite a small back window so you're not getting the full look into the car he parked near very high hedges so he knew what he was doing. That means he knew this area. He knew it. So there is issues here because when we look at a crime like this and when you're trying to think of, of a perpetrator from a profiling point, point of view, who would do this sort of crime? This wasn't a hit. And we've had people on here and we'll go through where people have thought it was a hit. You know, someone bit, No hit man is going to do that. If you hire someone to kill, they usually shoot because it's not personal. This person who killed Penny Bell, Ivan Newer, was watching her. Probably a stalker, it could have been, and we'll go through that in a little while. It could have been someone she knew. So there's lots of, when you're looking at this case, there's lots of issues. But in this case, and this is why I can't understand this case, why it's unsolved still after 30 years. Because when Penny's body was found, the police clipped her nails, cut the nails for DNA analysis. And then they lost them nail clippings for 17 years. And when they refound these nail clippings with evidence, and there would have been evidence, and we can now tell from the minute DNA of who had done this crime, but now you see these nail clippings, her nail clippings are contaminated. So any evidence that could have been found on these nail clippings is now useless. It wouldn't be admissible in court because now it's been lost. They've just been discarded. It wasn't kept properly. Also, with Kenny, um, Penny's car, this car, which was the actual crime scene, a contained space, would have had so much DNA in it. They did find fingerprints, and we'll go into that in a little while. But after that, what they did with this car is again leave this car unattended, open to the world. Never secured that car. Never secured the evidence in that car. So again, this car was left for many years. And again, any evidence that's found in this car, again, cannot be used in court. It's an admissible because anybody now could have touched this car. Because the police, its failure in this case was absolutely terrible. Now there's other cases that's going to come into this, other suspects, and that the police at that time, these are the same police that made mistakes, massive failures in that case. And so this, this crime, with the evidence that was there, and, and, and if it was the correct investigation into this case was done early enough, this would have been solved. Now unfortunately now, as we look through this evidence of this case, or what you can get as evidence that would hold up in court. There really isn't any, is there? 
because we can't use it. So a killer that stabbed someone 50 times, an innocent woman 50 times in a public car park. Now I think this car park in this leisure centre was nearly full. There was 156 car parking spaces in this um, leisure centre and most of them were full. So this perpetrator did not care who saw him. He didn't care. And he also must have known this area or he'd planned it where he had a car waiting close to where he's made Penny park her car because this man would have been covered in blood and should have, he would have automatically have had known that when you stab someone like that to walk into a public area like this because this was a very busy area you would have been noticed but no one saw a thing no one saw a thing so he had his exit route very well planned really well planned so do i think this murder was planned yes yes so it was you know i think there's too much here um that wasn't planned you couldn't you couldn't say it wasn't planned but I, in my, you know, I think it would have been, and I, I, when I think of a perpetrator, what would do with this, and we're going, we're going to go into this in a bit later on as we go through this case a bit more. There, there are suspects, and I'll tell you who I think, but I'm going to leave it up to you to think of what else you think may have happened in this case. So let's move on now to Penny and her home and family life. Now, Penny was married to Alistair Bell. She'd been married a good few years, as I said before. She had a previous son in a, a, a son in a previous relationship, and Penny and Alistair had this young child, um, a young little girl between them. They were happy. And now this case, when it first came out, was getting a lot of publicity um, because of she was a businesswoman. They were this well-respected family. But in 1991, you see, and we've said this before, um, when the public hear something that they don't agree with or don't understand or don't like. There was rumours starting to fly about. Now it was true that Alistair did have a homosexual relationship for quite a long time before him and Penny were married. Penny and Alistair were friends for many, many years before they married. People then assumed that because of this homosexual relationship that he was having prior that the person, you know, these people then decided they didn't want Penny on, um, Penny on the scene and they'd get rid of her. Penny Bell knew about Alistair's previous relationship. She was also friends with the person that Alistair was involved with before her. He was at their wedding. So there was no connection made between that. But what that did in this case, when this came out, was really hinder this case because at that point he was getting two three hundred phone calls a day coming in with information once that information was released out um, about Alistair <coughs> having a homosexual relationship before Penny people stopped calling the interest died down you know the 90s are not like it is today it was still seen I suppose as being you know uh, Unha you know, people were unhappy about that sort of thing. I think that's all I can really say. 
it wasn't accepted as it is today. But even so, we're talking about a woman who was stabbed 50 times. We're talking about a woman, you know, that had children, had this relationship, a good relationship. But people really just stopped their interest in this case because of that one thing. People then said that Penny Bell was having relationships and this is where she was going out on this morning to have this, you know, uh, a meeting. It wasn't really a meeting. She was going to meet her lover and this sort of stuff. That's nonsense, really. There's no evidence to say that Penny Bell or Alistair was having any relationships at all outside the marriage. Actually, on the contrary, I think most of what you read and you find out about these couple, well, they were just a nice, happy couple. There's lots of people that are bisexual. There's lots of people that have relationships with men and women and then move on to choose which one they want to spend their life with. And these two decided to spend their life together. It was a happy relationship. She had a great business, he had a great job, they had great kids, great home, great life. There was no evidence at all to suggest that she was seeing anyone. And as we go through a little bit and you'll see about um, this man who used to know them comes up and you'll see, I suppose, where these rumours have started. But Penny Bell, on the morning of the 6th of June 1991, told her builders she was late for an appointment. If she was going to have this, you know, <laughs> interaction with a man, she wouldn't have told her builders that. When you have an affair, you say nothing. She had no reason to tell her builders that she was 10 minutes late, she was running late for this appointment. Why would she? It was just an appointment. And we don't know if the person she was having an appointment with is the person that killed her. We don't know that. We don't know actually, even if she made that appointment, do we, really? We just don't know. Because the police, by this stage, you know, in this investigation 30 years on, are no further ahead with this case than they was on the day she was murdered. So, as far as Penny Bell is concerned with this affairs and stuff like that, no, there was no affair. It's all made up um, by someone that really wanted to extort money, and we'll go into him in a little while. Now, three days prior to Penny Bell's murder, she had withdrawn eight and a half thousand pounds from her and her husband's joint account. Now, she had separate accounts. She had business accounts, but she drew eight and a half thousand pounds out of the joint account. So she wasn't trying to hide anything. There's nothing being hidden here. She drew money out. Now, lots of people draw money out. They also, in the car, they said they found wallpaper and they didn't understand what wallpaper was doing in there. This woman was having a kitchen renovation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have an idea of like, I'm going to redo my kitchen, I'm already on to the next room. Once that one started, I'm thinking, oh, I like this. So she had some um, wallpaper in the back of this car and the police felt that may have been relevant, even though they didn't DNA it and anything else and keep it. They just sort of left it in the back of this car. So I don't know how relevant that could have been. But it could have been, couldn't it? We don't know why she drew eight and a half thousand pounds out of her bank. We don't know. Did she want to um, pay someone cash in hand for something. That happens a lot in the 90s, especially people love cash in hand work. They still do if they can get it. You know, we, we don't know. And there's really no evidence of that money even being around. So whether she had that money on her on that day, 
and that was what was stolen from her car. We don't know. We don't know. So there is a little bit of suspicion towards the eight and a half thousand. Was she paying off someone? Was she giving someone a loan? You know, these sort of things, we, we, we don't know. Uh, my husband knew nothing about it. But as I said, it wasn't really hidden, was it? He could have seen it. It was coming out of a joint account. She never made any secret of drawing this money out. So this money, I don't think, is elusive as people think. If she was going to draw money out and not let anybody know, she wouldn't have done it from a joint account. But yes, there is reasons why I think the money may have something to do with the killer or the killer was just lucky and that she had eight and a half thousand pounds on her at the time of her murder. That's what I mean, this case is like this. I think also with Penny, she was this, um, she worked, I think in the 80s, 85, 86, earlier than that, I think, as a Samaritan. So she would have known a lot of people from her time. Now, Samaritans are an organisation that help people. They have a 24-hour phone line, and people that feel suicidal. Um, they have a walk-ins as well for people that need assistance and help, and they are very, very um, a good organisation that help people who are really feeling low and try to stop suicide rate from going up. They also work there in prisons and help try and educate the prisoners to help other prisoners. But they do have walk-ins. Now Penny worked as a Samaritan. Did she meet someone when she worked in this as a Samaritan and one of these walk-ins? We don't know. That could also be um, an issue when it comes to the people that she was helping at that point. Now, when I talk about stalkers, and we've talked about stalkers before, you can be stalked and not know it. You can be stalked for years and not know it. Not every stalker is gonna text you, ring you up. They're gonna watch you from afar, and they're building up in their, in their mind this relationship. And it, so it could have been that. She could have met someone when she was working as a Samaritan and really not known what was really in their mind. And that could have then progressed for years. Stalkers can be many types, and we'll go on to them in a minute. So it could have been that as well. Now, Penny Bell, on the day she was murdered, there was no robbery. We couldn't, they couldn't find the eight and a half thousand. We don't even know if she had that eight and a half thousand pounds in her car. They don't know. There was no sexual assault on Penny. But I think Penny fought back. I think the frustration and the frenzied attack on Penny was the frustration, maybe, that because you are in a Jaguar car, you can't, she's behind the steering wheel, and um, I mean, I've had Jags, I love Jags, but I, um, you, there isn't much movement. You know, he'd have to pull up the back seat to try and get her in the back seat, there's not enough room. So the frustration of this killer on Penny may have been because he couldn't sexually assault her. He couldn't do it. He couldn't get to her. She wasn't allowing it. And so that's why that frustration, and you could see it was a frustration, this anger of this perpetrator on Penny to stab her and then to get out of the car, come to the other side of the window, to her window, and continue to stab her through the car window multiple times. Is someone that's really pissed off at you now, this was a sexual attack, or meant to be a sexual attack, and they can't get to you. That frustration is going to come out somehow.
and this woman was stabbed 50 times in a car park, in a public park, car park in the morning on a June day, a bright June day. So this perpetrator is very dangerous. And the issue I have with this case, as I have with many cases that this police force have dealt with around in the 90s, is that this man, because he wasn't caught, is still out there, isn't he? But let's, let's have a look at what the police looked into. Of course they looked into Alistair. Of course they did her husband. That's the first one they would have looked into. He had an alibi and was at work. And if we're thinking that Alistair may have wanted to kill her off because, you know, she was a wealthy woman. Um, she had, a, I think, an insurance policy of £200,000 at the time. Um, you know, you could, you could assume that, yes, but he was quite quickly eliminated. And I think, as I've said before, you know, when you hire a hitman to do a job, no hitman is going to take the risk in broad daylight, in public, and to literally overkill, and this was overkill, there's no way that someone that you've paid, whether you paid them a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand, is going to take that risk. So we can eliminate this being a hit of um, someone for hire. I don't believe that at all. I never have, and I don't think the police do either believe that. So Alistair was eliminated from them inquiries because he didn't do it, nor did anyone he know do this. Um, as far as we're con concerned and as far as now as what the police are concerned I think this case is closed anyway because they've made such a failing with the um, with the evidence that they should have kept so let's think now what else or who else it could have been so we have all these witnesses remember the witnesses from the um, the, the car park where they saw this man standing next to this uh, brown or bronze car standing next to that doesn't necessarily mean that was his car. No one saw him getting in or out of that car. But this man was described, I think, as um, ten, uh, five foot ten inches tall. Um, he was described at about an eight, uh, about forty-eight. Um, but I always say, and I've said it before about eyewitnesses. You know, it's difficult, isn't it? And this is why, even when you're in court and you have eyewitnesses, you know, what was the light like? was a you know how quick did you see them was you wearing your glasses you know there's lots of different things that come into eyewitnesses so yes I, I I think yeah we're looking for a man around this this height um you know and this age but could he have been this age could he have looked that old because he was doing something else or was he younger or was he older so I think we have to take um, eyewitness statements about this description sort of um Yes, there was definitely a man there, but and as we're as close to get, there wasn't loads of people saying the same thing, you see, and I think this is it with eyewitness testimony. If you have a lot of people saying the same thing, then you can really build that picture up as if to say that's exactly what he is. There wasn't really, this was just one person. So I think, and this this person um, was seen to get into this, this Jaguar, and again, we don't really know, do we, if it was Penny's Jaguar, I probably assume it was. So how quick did she pull up and did this man get into the car? So that's sort of the description they're looking for of this white male, um, you know, five foot ten tall and aged around 48, or they thought he was aged around 48. And um, I'll put the e-fit of what they um, done up so you can have a look at that. So the police believe 
that Penny Bell, because of this frenzied attack, the way it was done, knew her killer. She knew him. Or he knew her. So, you know, as I said in the 90s, we wasn't talking about stalkers and stuff as, as we've done now. As we do, and we don't, we, they didn't know enough about this, this stalker and their personalities and their traits um, as we do now. I don't know if Penny Bell did know him because at the same time there was many, many, you know, there was a serial killer going around at that time as well that no one knew. Um, well, they knew of, but they caught the wrong man, and we'll talk about that in a little while longer. But I think, yes, they, I think they, they did thrill because it was this overkill, this frenzied attack. Um, it was like this person knew her and disliked her. But I think as we now progress with the law and the different things on psychology and, and profiling, did he know her? Probably. Did she know him? Maybe not. Okay, so now let's bring in this former neighbour of Penny Bell's uh, and the family. So he knew the family as well. Uh, they lived in Whitmore Road in Harrow before moving to um, Bakerswood in October 1987. Now, John Richmond um, was arrested by the police in, um, I think, April 1992 um, after his fingerprints were found in Penny's car. Now, as I've said, yes, his fingerprints were found in this car, so we don't know how long them fingerprints have been there, really. And because of the police um, didn't contain this car, con contain this crime scene, um, which contaminated, contaminated all the rest of the evidence, we will actually never really know whether this man did it or not. But if you know when you're a lawyer and you're saying, "What's that? Well, I found that you found this uh, John Richmond's fingerprints in a car." Well, you know he was a friend of the family. It depends how often she cleaned his car. It depends, you know, were they found on top of the blood or underneath the blood? There's not much really about this case because this evidence wasn't really kept about this. So if the fingerprints had been found on top of the blood or mixed in with the blood, um, we would have known he was there on the day of that crime. But if there were just fingerprints in this car. Um, you're now talking about he was a friend of the family. He could have been in this car at any point. So that fingerprint evidence isn't really reliable. But I think it's this other thing about this John Richmond, which is very interesting in this case. So this John Richmond, he was living in Pinner at the place, I think, and uh, in, 19, in July 1992, he was allowed out on bail. And I think that's the only real suspect they had in this case. Um, again, because of this evidence really wasn't really collected and, and kept well. I mean, this is early stages now in 1992. So I think, yes, they got they done well to get the fingerprints, but they didn't really go um, far, far enough with this man, I don't think. I don't know if um, John Richmond is a bit of a fantasist, to tell the truth. He did have a criminal record, and we'll go into that. So John Richmond's criminal record was about um, um, uh, forgery um, and um, smuggling. And he spent some time in prison and he was also declared bankrupt. So listen, this character of this man isn't great. It really isn't great. Did, was he in Penny's car? Did she give him the 8,000? 500 pounds she had as a loan. Because this man, 
is a manipulated man. Whether this man's a killer, a murderer, I'm not so sure. There's no evidence and he's been um, called in a couple of times for questioning. But there's no real evidence against him. And to tell the truth, I don't think it's him. I think he's a bit of a fantasist. He said that he, uh, you know, he approached the son, I think, in 19... Um, in December 1994, he approached the son and wanted £80,000 for his story, you know, because he was meeting Penny Bell on that morning, you know, for their looted affair. And um, he knew um, he, when, when he left her, he was alive, but he knew who had done it. You know, it was a hit. I mean, it's absolutely crap, really, from this man. This man was trying to extort money out of the son. I think the son didn't pay the £80,000, actually. They met him in a pub and um, they actually... Um, talked to him um, and they secretly recorded him. They actually didn't pay the £80,000. But what sort of a person would, you know, if you have any evidence of a crime, that you want £80,000 for telling it? Especially when you've said that you know who the perpetrator is. So listen, this man, he could be, but he could have, he could have killed her. I don't think so. I think he's just, um, he was trying to get money. He was trying to get himself known to get this money, get in the papers, sell his story. You know, there was no looted affair. There was no evidence of an affair, especially with this man. There wasn't. His fingerprints are in the car for a reason. As I said, it could have been at any point before this murder. And I think once he was questioned for the murder and that he knew his fingerprints were in there, he tried to make up this story. And a story it is. Because he's tried to say that he knows the person that killed penny and he won't say because no one's going to pay him for it and um it was a hit well there's no way that was a hit at all and you know i'm not saying that he didn't kill her but there's no evidence to say that he did at all because any evidence that may have proved he's guilty or innocent was lost in the incompetence of this investigation by these police when they destroyed the evidence by leaving it out losing fingernail evidence which they would have purely there would have been so much DNA evidence on them fingernails um, but once they was contaminated and contaminated they were inadmissible in court so do I believe that this John Richmond um, is a killer no I really don't I think he is a manipulator I think he is someone that is despicable for what he's trying to do um, we don't know we don't know but I don't know and we can't find enough about this John Richmond could he have been a stalker could he have, you know he lived next to them for a good eight years he'd known them but he was a con man you know you have people that are con men and he was a smuggler so he was into criminality but was he a killer I'm not so sure not in not in this case really I just think you know um, we will have to see you know if any anyone comes forward because there must be someone still out there that knows something about this this murder and um, but at the moment I wouldn't eliminate um, John Richmond I'd hold him on the back burner but he wouldn't be the one that I would focus on I think the police have sort of had enough of him to tell the truth and where you haven't got any evidence that you can actually charge someone with and the thing is with this murder you want to get the right person don't you really because undoubtedly this wouldn't have been this person's only attack and we're going to go into that now
So let's talk about stalkers for a minute, because as I said in 1991, stalkers weren't really on our mind, were they? We didn't know enough about these characters. But we have to think that Penny Bell was a businesswoman, a boss. She had people working for her. So as we go through these things, anyone can be a stalker, can't they? Anybody. It can be someone, um, a former or sexual partner you've had, an ex-husband or wife or whatever. It can be an acquaintance, a little bit like John, can't it? This John Richmond, the acquaintance. It could be a friend or a colleague at work. It could be an employee at work someone that's disgruntled, someone that you've done something to, you may have only said the wrong word, that would start this off. Stalkers don't take a lot to stalk you. We don't know how long if she was stalked at all, she'd also work for the Samaritans, and as I said before, the Samaritans you know, have walk-ins and phone conversations, and you are talking about people with, who are suicidal. Some people of these have got mental health, some people you know, she could have helped someone in there that had this attraction to her that she didn't even know was there. And this then could have come out many years later. You know, um, so there was, there was that type of stalker as well. Someone that you've helped and they feel that they have this connection with you, but you may not even know that. So there's that type of stalker. I mean, if we're talking about stalkers, I think this resentful stalker, um, you know, maybe as I said, she'd done something in work, someone didn't like her, someone, she'd rejected someone because there was no history in her marital life of her having affairs, not at all. But she may have been asked, she was a very um, pretty woman, very well-kept woman, very educated woman, quite a powerful woman in her business. She held herself well. You know, that's an attractive quality to a lot of men. And sometimes in business, you know, a lot of us now, women in business, run businesses, you know, um, and men can sometimes think that they can treat you a little bit different because you're a woman. And when they give you these advances and when you reject them, um, they don't like it. And I think this could have been something that also could have happened to Penny. So we can't discard the um, stalker theory. We can't. Um, because of her life, she met a lot of people. She ran a recruitment agency as well. So she interacted with a lot of people. You know, you, you, know, you, you interact with headhunters, you interact with all these different people, you know, clients and colleagues and, and um, people looking for work, people, you know, wanting work. This was her business. People was her business. So she met and, and would have seen and had dealings with lots and lots of people. So this stalker, um, we can't reject it. it, it could have been. And the thing is with stalkers, yes, sometimes we know, and sometimes we don't. Penny didn't show any signs of being worried about a stalker or anything. So maybe she just didn't know. The other theory here is, is that this could have just been Penny Bell being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now we're gonna go on to a person that I would have, when I read this case, I automatically thought of this person because he was active in this area at that time. His name is Robert Napper. And there is the case of 
Robert Napper that I've already done. Now if you watch that case, this man, and this, that video is a disturbing video, this man is a person that would kill you as quick as look at you. He wouldn't care if it was out in the open. And this is the same area now, this is his area where Penny Bell was murdered. He didn't drive at all. He was seriously, a serious, serious killer of women and children. And when I read this case, the similarities, the MO between his killings and other killings that we know he's done are so similar. You can't, there's no way that you can not put him in the picture for this. So let's talk a little bit more now about Robert Napper. So Robert Napper's known crime span was between um, the 5th of July 1992 and November 1993, as I say, what we know about. He is also known as the Green Chain Rapist and he also murdered, um, I think, Rachel uh, Nickel and there was a big controversy about that case and the same police force um, doing that case, done this case. Um, he um, also killed um, the Pessettes, um the mother and the child. He stalked her first. He knew what she was doing. He murdered her. As I say, this case is on my um, video um, you know, catalogue and have a look at it. But there's a warning out about that case. It's a disturbing case. So listen, the police did interview Napa over this case, over Penny Bell and others, actually. Um, the thing is with Robert Napa is he will not talk. He will not admit anything unless you can prove it, unless there is evidence that really states that he's done it or else he's not saying a word. He killed um, Rachel Nicole in a public park in the morning a year later than this murder in front of her couple of year old child in broad daylight. Stabbed her that many times and sexually abused her in front of that child. There was a lot of issues with this case. Again, evidence lost, not, not, not managed right, the crime scene not managed right. There's a lot of issues here. Plus another man was charged for that murder and he didn't do it. He also then, when he went on to kill the Bassettes, he was known to have been stalking her. We know he was stalking her because of the way that she was found dead. Only a stalker would have known um, how to place that body of certain things that um, she had done in her home. So this man, Themo, was to rape and stab continuously. 40, 50, I think, and the Bissettes were stabbed about 75 times. He was known in this area, he worked in this area. He is never going to tell the police anything. And because of the police with this investigation, and we didn't have the, the DNA evidence anymore um, because it was contaminated, um, if they had had a, evidence and they could have put it to Napa, he probably would have said then that he'd done it. But Napa's not really interested in talking to anybody, really. 
and I don't know anyone that really wants to interview Napa because he's highly, highly dangerous. Now, <coughs> you know, even the people that look after Napa, the female, you know, um, officers are worried about Napa. This man is a very dangerous man. And when we come back to the Penny Bell case and you think how she was murdered, she may have pulled up to this meeting a bit late I can't see Robert Napper ringing anybody to make an appointment, but you never know. We don't know if Napper ever went to the Samaritans because he did try and seek help. We know that, um, but not for, not for very long. Um, he could have met or known um, Penny Bell, but she wouldn't have probably remembered him. He was well known just to walk around these park areas and he was an opportunist killer, um, as he did with um, Rachel Nickel just jumped out. He could have gone up to Penny Bell's car, got in her car, because that's what he would have been like. You couldn't have stopped him. Threatened her to drive off. And that is something that Robert Napper would have done, because you're now in Robert Napper's territory. He was a very active killer at that point. So that's another scenario that could have happened to Penny Bell. And probably in my mind, if I was looking at this case now as one as 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 one of Robert Napper's killings, um, he was definitely come straight up. I think they also looked at the cases of Claire um, Tipman, um, who was 16 at the time of her murder, again stabbed to death, um, and also Penny Bell, 43, and she was stabbed 50 times, and also I think it was uh, Jean um, Bradley, 47, who also died in a frenzied knife attack, very similar to um, Penny Bell. So when we look at these cases, you know, and all these three women, they, all, they was all murdered between 1991 and 1993. After 93, um, it stopped. Now, <laughs> You know, Samantha Bissett and her daughter Jasmine, he left um, a partial, when he murdered them, he left a partial print and a footprint, and I think a, a footprint. And then they also arrested him on that. And they got, and so six months later after that, um, they was met that he was found guilty of that. He is a paranoid schizophrenic. Very, very dangerous man. He, he is driven to kill, and he is an opportunist killer, as well as a stalker killer. We know he's a stalker because how he stalked other people. He's a rapist, a very violent, violent rapist who raped women when they had their children with them. If the opportunity for him to have seen Penny Bell on that day arose, this man would have killed her. And the similarities between his MO and these other cases and her cases can't be dismissed. But again, these are all theories. We just don't know. We just don't know. But what we do know is whoever done this has not been charged with this murder at all. If it wasn't any of these people that I've mentioned, it's somebody else. And it's somebody else out there that 30 years ago stabbed to death. This woman, in broad daylight, 50 times, and has never been caught.
again we come up with this place and it annoys me with these place I mean we're a lot different now but in the 90s and this is the same place with the um, Rachel Nickel murder the same failings in these place to do the right thing because this criminal would have been caught long long ago if that evidence had been contained properly and the crime scene and the car was the crime scene here had been contained and kept the evidence inside of that car would have been overwhelming evidence especially now if you even retested today the problem is now if they retest now yes they may find out who done it but they can never do anything about it because it's contaminated it would never make call this is a very sad case this and i think it's a very sad case because her daughter has done um a video you know she didn't know her mum really she was young when her mum died she's got photos of her mum she's she can't really remember things about her mum and she doesn't want her mum to be remembered as this murder victim yes she wants answers because these people deserve answers wouldn't you want answers if your mother had died your wife had died your sister had died do you want answers and I just really don't think to tell the truth that they're ever going to get them so I feel really sorry for her for that but she wants her mum to be remembered as this businesswoman a lovely woman who had a life before all that who was a mother a great mother a great person a lovely person so I wish these kids of hers well I wish this daughter well so I want to end this video as a tribute as one businesswoman to another you know Penny Bell deserves all the credit to be this sort of a businesswoman in 1991 and what she could have achieved if her life hadn't been cut short so it's a very sad story this again this these poor kids left without a mother the husband left without a wife and was devastated by this so this has been the case of penny bell i'll be really interested to see what your feelings are and you your you know these people and i love them because people like these home detectives really really research this stuff um and i'm really interested to think what you think about this case 